Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hello and welcome to Lady Startup Stories, a podcast all about finding out how female entrepreneurs built their businesses big or small. I'm Georgia Love, and since launching my own sleepwear business, Georgia Elliott, I've had a lot of questions, which is why I'm sitting here asking some of the most business-savvy women in Australia how they became lady startups. I'm Michelle Battersby, and this is my lady startup story. Now, most people don't decide to go out on their own at the height of their career, but for my guest today, it was an easy option. Michelle Battersby has held some of the top marketing jobs in the country. She launched Bumble in Australia and worked alongside Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw at Keep It Cleaner. But late in 2020, Michelle decided to leave her dream jobs and start her own business. Her idea was simple, empower women to create fun, safe, creative, shame-free content and make money from it. And that's how Sunroom was born. Still in the very early stages of launching her business, Michelle joins me now to tell us how it's going. Michelle Battersby, thank you for joining me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I am really excited for this chat because your business sunroom, I don't know really anything about. And that's what's really exciting about startups, right? This is a genuine, true start from the ground up. We're just beginning. Yeah, very much in the thick of it at the moment. There are so many questions I don't have the answer to. My other co-founders don't have the answer to these questions, but... um. We're working through everything as it comes our way. And yeah, it's a really exciting time where we're getting ready to launch. Well, we are here to be asking you all the questions. So we'll just see how we go. (laughs) We'll see which ones I can answer. (laughs) Exactly. Now we will get to Sunroom, but I want to know a bit about your background. For our listeners, a lot have probably heard your name linked to Bumble, Australia, of course. Tell me even how you got started in Bumble. So I was... 25 and I'd been working in corporate finance. I'd been working in investment banks as an HR generalist, but I just had a feeling that it wasn't really my long-term career path and I was starting to explore other options. What made you feel like it wasn't that? Was it literally a gut feeling? Yeah, it was a gut feeling. So I can remember sitting at my desk and I would look around and think, why does everyone here care so much? I don't care as much as they care. And I wasn't doing poorly. You know, I was still executing my role and I was still challenged. The passion just wasn't there for me. And I think that was it. They were just all far more passionate about the space than I was. And I feel like you can't stick it out in something, anything, if you don't have a love for it and a desire to be there. I'm not the kind of person who can just go through the motions. So I was starting to lose interest pretty quickly. I think especially at 25 too, there's a lot of career to go at the age of 25. Yeah. Like how do I do this for the next 30, 40 years of my life, whatever it may be. 
And it was when I accepted those emotions and began to, I guess, open my eyes to other opportunities that you start to see things in different ways. Like if you're not open to what else is out there, I think often things can pass you by. So I began to have conversations with people in my network about what I could do, starting to explore a career change. And one of the conversations ended up leading me to an introduction to Whitney Wolf Hurd, who's the founder and CEO of Bumble. And this was in late 2016, and she was looking for someone to launch Bumble into the Australian market. You hadn't heard of Bumble at this point, had you? No. Which sounds so funny (laughs) saying in 2021, it's part of the vernacular, but at that stage, it literally didn't exist in Australia. Yeah. I mean, you could use the app, but it was pretty fresh and I'd never heard of it. There was no team here. I also had never been on a dating app before because I'd had a boyfriend the whole time dating apps were a thing. So Lucky bugger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was a little bit hesitant because I felt like dating apps had this stigma associated with them. So I actually wasn't going to take her call. I was kind of avoiding it at that time, but she added me on Facebook and just happened to send me an email whilst I was sitting at my desk and there was a meeting room open across the hallway. And I remember she was in LA. She'd sent me this really nice email basically saying, if you're free right now, I can chat. So I thought, okay, I'll run into this meeting room and see what she has to say. And it's one of those conversations where you remember everything you were looking at at the time and you remember everything about that moment and everything that you felt. Because it was life-changing. It changed my whole life. And my gut at that time said, this is going to change your life. It actually gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And it gave me goosebumps at the time. And I just believed wholeheartedly in everything she was saying and the mission, what Bumble stood for. She spoke a lot about women supporting other women. And we hear that a lot now. But at the time, I felt like that was really just starting to erupt. And I just felt like this was going to be huge and something that I wanted to be a part of. So I remember saying, I'll think about it. Mm. (laughs) And I got off the phone and called my dad and he just said, you should quit your job and you should do this. So I emailed her back because I also had absolutely no experience in the space. So I thought I need to stop her from looking for someone else because she'll (laughs) She'll find find someone (laughs) far more experienced (laughs) with better credentials than myself if I don't stop her quickly. So I just sent her, I think it was a text or email, I can't really remember, just saying I will do it. And I just started working out my notice period and, yeah, began to think about ways that I could quickly grow and launch Bumble in Australia and hire a team and localize the messaging and get the ball rolling. So that's what the job was, essentially. It was an existing company, which was a lady startup. Yeah. And your role was bringing it into Australia, making an Australian arm of this, what was becoming a massive company, certainly in the US. Yeah. So when I started, there were about I don't know what number employee I was, but there were definitely under 10 employees at the company globally. So it was pretty fresh, but that was also really great because looking back on it, that was really a crash course in how to start and scale a business with no real personal financial risk because they were already established and had great support in America. But it also meant that I could work really closely with, there were three people that Whitney hired 
very early on, Alex, Caroline and Sam, and the four of them were really responsible for growing it in America. And because I was so early on in the piece, I could connect with them, speak to them really regularly and take all of their learnings and successes in America and try to apply it, change it up a little bit, but reapply it skewed to an Australian audience speaking in a way that would relate a little bit more potentially to an Australian market. And I felt very supported and nurtured. And Whitney from the start, you know, really did empower me. I think so many people use the word empower and you want to feel empowered in the workplace, but I'd never felt more empowered. And I really was armed with all the tools that I needed to succeed and it showed me this feeling that you have when you have complete, you know, creative autonomy and freedom and a really supportive network around you. And ever since experiencing that, you never can settle for less than that. And you only want other people to feel that. And I just, it was an amazing lesson because that's something that I've now really tried to pass on or display to anyone that works with me because it just makes you try harder and you are much more committed to your role and I think you're willing to go the extra mile. So with the risk of this sounding like a really rude question, (laughs) why did you get the job if you had no experience in the space? So I think about that quite often and an answer that doesn't help anyone is Whitney and I had this very strange connection and we've both spoken about that conversation and said that we both felt the same thing. It was like this strange bond almost and I feel as though we still have it and we can get to that. But I think what probably got me across the line was when I worked at Citibank, I was an HR generalist, but I also did a second role at the same time for a while, and that was managing the graduate recruitment program. So I hired all the investment bankers and the people that were on the trading floor. And that's quite a competitive process. And you go out to universities and you basically have to convince all these really, really smart kids why they should apply for a graduate role at this bank over the other banks. And you're really fighting to get the smartest people straight out of university Uh, You form quite close relationships with these university kids because I probably shouldn't call them kids. People, (laughs) they are to us oldies now. (laughs) People and uh, you try to really win them over. And the campus field marketing program at Bumble was really critical to Bumble's launch and success. It's actually strategy that's critical in a lot of startups, scaling and early success. So I think the fact that I had done things on campus at university was something that Whitney thought would be useful. Because that's very American style. That's kind of how Bumble started there. Yeah. Am, am I making that up? I'm feeling like I'm, I'm reverting no. back to the Facebook movie, you're, how that started at uni. Yeah, you're spot on. Mm. And in Australia at that time, college marketing, university marketing wasn't really a thing. I feel as though Red Bull is probably one of the more well-known brands in Australia that definitely goes on campus and tries to tap into that university party culture type scene. But I think it was, yeah, the graduate recruitment side of things. But also another one of the best lessons Whitney ever taught me, and I don't know if she meant to deliberately teach me this or if I just learned via osmosis and it just happened. But 
you really have to trust other people in order to scale. And she's not grown up in Australia. She doesn't know where the best clubs are, the best cafes, the best parks. And that grassroots style marketing and that scrappy style marketing is how you get a startup off the ground really quickly. And you do need to be somewhat in the know to know where to find those places. So she really passed the baton on. And from the start was like, you will know this better than me. This is yours. Run with it. So it was it was really just you on the ground, as you say, <laughs> building this thing up from the ground. And what did you build it to? So whilst I was at Bumble, we got to, I think by the time I left, it was 3.3 million registrations. Wow. Yeah. So it happened so quickly and quite consistently. And it was an incredible thing to be a part of. When I first started It wasn't just myself who hadn't heard of Bumble. My friendship group hadn't heard of Bumble either. And to then go to this brand where you tell people what your job is and everyone knows what it is, that's an extremely rewarding feeling. And I'm really, really proud of what the team and I achieved in that time. And I also look back on it with the fondest memories and seeing what they're all still doing now is so rewarding. I've got five questions that I ask every guest about their startup. I'll ask you again at the end about (laughs) Sunroom, but I want to ask a couple of those now about Bumble because it wasn't your startup as such, but it pretty much was. It was like starting it in Australia and Mm. going up. So of my five questions, you've kind of answered one is what you're most proud of, as you just said. What do you wish someone had told you in the early days that would have just made things go a lot smoother? Not not to worry. I think there's probably two sides to this. So I definitely doubted myself at the start and I made a couple of pretty bad decisions at the start about where we would spend money and what brands we would partner with. And I had gut feelings entering those decisions that they probably weren't the right ones, but I didn't completely back myself because I didn't have the experience on paper. So I thought if there are other people around me that have the experience saying this is a good idea, I should do it, even though my gut was telling me not to. So I think 100% just trust your gut and go with it. And if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. And listen to that little feeling that is somewhat hesitant and trust it. But I also was just worried a lot of the time that the event wouldn't go to plan or that this talent or influencer wouldn't pull through as much as I was thinking they were. Or there was always just this little seed of doubt the whole time. And every time we'd execute something, I would always look back and think, you're such a fool. Why were you doubting yourself so much? Or why did you think that wasn't going to come to fruition? And now that I look back on the whole experience, it would have been even more enjoyable if I just didn't worry so much. That's really great advice because I think we all are our worst enemies in that headspace, aren't we? Yeah. We can be anyway. I'm very good at getting rid of the doubt. So it never stays in my mind for all that long, but it definitely is there at times. And another thing I want to know is if you could turn back time, what is one thing that you would change? A mistake maybe you feel like you made Mm -hmm. or if there was just something you wish you'd done earlier? Yeah, so I won't say the, (laughs) 
activation that it was, but I think it's really important to keep your head in your boat, you know, and this is like a rowing term. Like when you look out of your rowing boat, you throw off the balance and you slow down the boat. And it's really important to just keep your head in your boat so that you're moving faster and you're all in rhythm. And I think the same can sometimes be applied to business. When you look outside your boat and you pay too much attention to what your competitors are doing, you slow yourself down. And I made a decision once that was somewhat fueled by wanting to beat out one of our competitors to a deal because I knew that they were going for this partnership at the same time as we were. Upon reflection, it probably wasn't the best thing for Bumble to have done. It definitely wasn't a huge failure. It probably was just too expensive, but I wouldn't have been so fueled to win it if I hadn't have been looking at this competitor so hard. So I think it's always good to know who's in the race with you, but don't look at them once the race has started. Just stick to your game plan and execute it. That's great advice. I love that. How long were you at Bumble for? Three years. And you moved on from there in this massive role <laughs> from one, what was a, a lady startup, to another. Yeah. In one we all know very well, Keep It Cleaner with Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw. Yeah. Tell me about making that move. What was your role there and what made you to decide to jump ship? Yeah, so when I was at Bumble, I definitely started to think about what I was going to do next. And Those thoughts became pretty scary, to be honest, because it was such a big role and I was somewhat at the forefront of it and I started to feel a little bit scared. What are the other options out there for me if it's not my own thing and I didn't feel ready to do my own thing just yet? Whilst I achieved a lot at Bumble, I also didn't ever have a manager or someone that I reported into onshore. So I felt as though there were skills that I probably could develop and continue to expand on in another business. Because when you're not at headquarters, you do miss out on some larger decision making. So I thought, you know what, I'm really not ready to do my own thing just yet. I feel like what I've achieved at Bumble is incredible, but I need to experience something else. And as I was thinking all of this, Steph and Laura approached me and they asked me if I would join their team as chief marketing officer. And originally it was to help them launch internationally. So I thought this is perfect. I can work for another purpose-driven, women-led tech startup And I'll almost be able to do the reverse of what I did at Bumble and I'm at HQ. So win, win, win. So I move from Sydney to Melbourne, start working at Kick. COVID happens and I can't do any of that. (laughs) Yeah. So that was actually quite a challenging transition, much harder than I thought it would have been. And was it much harder than it would have been Yeah, in an ideal world, <laughs> in a non-2020 yeah. world? And it's even crazy to think about because then obviously we all start to work from home. So I've started at this new business and I actually probably only ever had a month in the office with the team the whole time I was there. Because well, that's what I was going to ask about too. Yeah. So you kind of look at it, the businesses 
in very general terms that have done well through COVID have been a lot of the techs because people are at home. I mean, Keep It Cleaner is all about working out at home, cooking at home. So it was a company that would have thrived, for want of a better term, during COVID, yet working there was made a lot more difficult. Yeah, working there was made much harder. Obviously, pros and cons to working from home, but having just started at the company, getting some more FaceTime and building relationships with the team would have been perfect. But I also feel extremely fortunate to have been working for Kick during COVID because I got to work on a product that people really needed. A big goal of mine working at Keep It Cleaner was I really I really needed to prove more to myself that I could be a part of growing multiple brands. Bumble was this rocket ship, but there was always this little part of me that thought, Was I in the right place at the right time? So moving to kick gave me a second chance to see if I could grow something else. And COVID 100% helped, but we also did an incredible relaunch and I felt as though I had proved what I needed to prove to me. So then you've worked (laughs) on this amazing company that you've again helped grow, that has grown so much in this space of a bizarre year, Mm. huge relaunch. And from there, you've decided, no, something else is out there. Yeah. You know, it's very odd and I can't explain how this really happens, but I just seem to have these really odd moments in my life where As soon as the wheels start to turn for me and I begin to think about what the next step could be, something just finds its way to me. And I don't think that's luck. I think that it's about creating opportunities for yourself and then being able to latch onto those opportunities and have the guts to take them when they do show themselves to you. 100%. That's what we always talk about with Lady Stars. There's no such thing as luck mm. in business. It's hard work. It's dedication. It's self-belief. It's it's all of these other things, but mm. it's not luck because if we're all sitting there at home with a great idea in our heads or you know, money that we've got sitting there to start whatever our business may be, it's not luck if yeah. someone buys our product or signs up to our service. Yeah, That's what you've done in the background. Exactly. So I was beginning to have these thoughts about what does come next for me. Perhaps I am now ready for that to be something that I own or co-found. And this email lands in my inbox and it's from this woman called Lucy Mort, who's an Australian, but she's been living in New York for, I think, about six years. And she was the lead designer at Hinge, the dating app. She emails me and she's got this idea. She's looking for other co-founders and she specifically wants one of those co-founders to be ex-Bumble and for them to own the marketing and branding side. Because of how well Bumble has done? Yes. I mean, everyone's seen Bumble's marketing events, activations, the way the brand was positioned. I just think they are kind of the king of branding (laughs) and marketing. So and I'm not saying that because I was there. I think that's full testament yeah, to Whitney. You're that's allowed not to about say myself. That too. You're allowed <laughs> yeah. to say that too because you did that as well. Well, yeah, being a part of it is incredible. So I remember, I think her email said something like, I know you're in a role at the moment. Do you know anyone 
else ex-Bumble or someone who might be considering leaving Bumble and I thought you know what I'm gonna block this opportunity (laughs) I think I think I might be interested this sounds pretty fascinating also I'd love to speak to another Australian who's actually been a part of these big dating apps from the start so we got on a call and we spoke a lot about our backgrounds and I just felt like she was incredible so smart super switched on to have led the design of Hinge. I can remember being in London working at Bumble and Hinge just relaunching and everyone saying, you've got to go and download this product. It's incredible what they've just done is going to change, you know, how people actually build intimacy on dating apps. And it was an insane product. So I was very interested in her area of expertise and we ended up having this conversation about an opportunity that Lucy had identified and I could definitely sense that there was potential there, but I really had to test my own passions also lied in the space whilst I have never been a founder before. I know how much a startup takes and I felt like I was somewhat aware of the mountain that could be ahead of us. So for me, it was about ensuring that I really could live and die for this business. So what was her initial email to you actually offering? Was it a a strong business idea or was it, I've got some fluffy idea in my head and I'm (laughs) looking for someone from a dating app in Australia to help me with it? Yeah, so it definitely was a broader idea. She'd identified the opportunity and she knew exactly the kind of co-founders that she needed, one being an engineer, the other being a marketer. So it was really about us taking that initial concept and then beginning to do some research and validate that there was a gap where we thought there was. So you've jumped on a phone call, you've kind of chatted out these (laughs) vibes and these feelings. Yeah. What was the next step? So this research phase became quite a long process and it's something that we've been working on since the inception of this idea. So it's been around five months now really gathering feedback and ensuring that there is a demand where we think there is. So really we all began speaking to people within our networks, getting their feedback, and that was a really rewarding part because there was so much feedback coming back to us during that time. But honestly, there also was some mixed feedback and that probably caused a little bit of uncertainty on my side because when I started going out to my network, all the women I was speaking to really believed in this and felt there was a need for it. But the men that I were talking to, they planted a seed of doubt in my mind. And I remember one explicitly saying that if I went ahead with something in this space, uh, it could be career ending without sounding too dramatic. Uh, And they also said that I would never get on a board. So I had to get really real with myself during that process and decide if this was something that I wanted to go ahead with. But what I ended up realizing, and the concept has certainly evolved since I had these initial conversations, but what I ended up realizing through that process is sitting down in front of someone and almost arguing with them and explaining why a certain product is necessary was what I was beginning to miss and what I was craving. And the challenge of 
getting consumers on your side and appealing to a large demographic. So it became a challenge that I really welcomed with open arms. And there have been people along the way, even up until this point right now, that have said no or perhaps been unsure and they've ended up coming back around as we've really refined and made iterations on exactly what this brand and product is. So there's the idea, there's the vision. Mm. How do you actually start that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I feel beyond lucky to have these two co-founders. So Lucy Mort, the ex-Hinge lead designer, she's the CEO and she's the one who brought this to me. But then we've also got Ellie Day, who's an engineer and she's ex-Atlassian and just so smart. And the two of them actually met doing a fellowship at On Deck, which is basically this community for really bright tech minds. And what they learned there has just become so critical to getting us up off the ground. And I have learned so much from the two of them. So when the three of us came together, we knew we needed to raise money. So we did a pre-seed And we had this deck and it basically had, you know, here's the industry, here's the potential in the industry, here's what currently exists, here's the problems with what currently exists, and here's where we think we're going to go, and here's the team that we've got behind it. And it was the three of us. We didn't have any products to show anyone. I still couldn't show your products. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But them being a part of On Deck meant these founders at On Deck sent our pitch deck out to some of the biggest angel investors and funds in Silicon Valley. And the people that saw our deck, I'd love to name drop them, but I won't. <laughs> but it was <laughs> Can you just- tell me afterwards I'm so intrigued. <laughs> yeah. But it was just mind blowing. And it felt like once one angel or fund from Silicon Valley knew about it, five others knew about it. And we just started pitching and pitching and pitching. And Lucy really led a lot of that and the rate at which she was pitching. I just feel so lucky to be working with someone who can work that hard. I came in to support on the seed towards the end of last year and I went out to my network. So sorry to interrupt, just for people who don't know all the lingo and and are learning all of this, tell me what a seed is. So I would say what we're doing is a pre-seed, which means that it is the first raise that you do where you basically try to get capital into the business because you now need money to go out there and begin to grow the thing. So you can do many rounds and it would go something like a pre-seed, a seed or a series A or a series B, but it just depends on at what stage of the business you're at. Sometimes in a pre-seed, you would need to prove that you've got a product and you've already generated revenue. But also if you have a strong team, sometimes you don't need to show as much. So in our case, we were really lucky. And I also give that credit to Lucy because she really pulled together a team of three people that had really complementary skill sets 
and could prove that they'd succeeded in the past. And that's what helped us get a lot of early traction to have an engineer, a designer and a marketer as the three co-founders meant that we could actually do a lot without other people. And that's something that appealed to investors as well as us coming from Bumble, Hinge and Atlassian. So it kind of depends who you've got and what your business is about. But for us, we closed our pre-seed without showing any revenue or product. And it was about people that believed in us and believed in the idea and they trust us to just figure it out. So could this idea have got to inception stage with me, my friend and her high school friend? A hundred percent. Uh, no, that's a no. No, it could have. <laughs> but this is this is what's so amazing, right, about um, all these startups is the different people, the different paths they're going on. I think what's so interesting about this is you've got this off the ground initially just from the strength of your name and your backing and your history. Yeah. And I mean, we had so much help. You know, Lucy and Ellie obviously had great relationships with the people at On Deck and they really helped to get the ball rolling. And then for me, I obviously, you know, tapped back into my Bumble network and that international Bumble network is something I'll cherish forever. So how do you actually get it created? Because I think there's so many people out there who have an idea for an app and they just have absolutely no idea where to start. How do you get it literally made? Well, having an engineer as one of your co-founders really helps. So Ellie is building this app and we've now got two consultants and one other full-time engineer supporting her. But there are so many companies out there that will contract to build apps for people. And I feel as though apps are so, so common now. The boom has well and truly come. So there are many companies out there that you could go to for support. You know, at Kick, they had contracted a company to build and help develop their app. And I think a lot of people do that. So there's definitely support that you can get out there. There's companies that will contract engineers out and almost like loan you them. You can get people on an hourly rate who just build certain elements or components of the app, but that tech side is definitely not my domain. Uh, So you do have to find people that have the expertise. What's been the hardest thing so far at this point of the journey of Sunroom? It's crazy to say Ellie, Lucy and I have never met each other in real life. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So they're both in the States and I'm here. So the company is actually based in LA and I'm moving over there in a month. But it's very 2020. We've co-founded a business without ever meeting each other in real life. And I think it's been an advantage because it meant that Lucy could pick the skill sets that she needed and then go and find those people. But we did this thing called a co-founder dating questionnaire. And I think it was around 75 questions and it gets into some really deep stuff. Things like, can one co-founder fire another? Would you prefer to own 8% of a billion dollar company or 80% of a $100 million company? Big goal type stuff. But questions you really should be asking your co-founders and things you really should know about each other before you decide to enter a business. Like what is the worst 
interpersonal conflict you've ever dealt with? What makes you feel stressed? How do you deal with stress? Have you ever dealt with depression? Like a lot of big questions and our values were just so aligned. We're three actually very different people, but our values are all the same. And yeah, it's crazy to think that we have never been in the same room and we just closed a pre-seed and (laughs) are about to launch an app. I can't wait for us to all actually be in the same room and for me to be able to hug these two (laughs) and just say, can you believe we've done this? For me right now, it's also a pretty strange stage in my life because I feel like I'm in the departure lounge ready to start the next chapter but there's so much that needs to be done before I leave this country and go over to the States and try to scale this in America. Wow. Oh, I've got goosebumps. Oh, that's good. That's good. Honestly, the energy in this room is (laughs) really, really exciting. Tell me about the name. I actually love the name. Lucy came up with it. There were a couple of other names. I was about to say them, and then I thought, no, oh, I won't. Damn. I won't share them. Sorry, one of them's great. Uh, <laughs> You're saving it for a future app. <laughs> saving it, yeah. Maybe we'll have a sister brand that will need it. But Sunroom, where it came from was we want to create a light-filled space for women to be themselves, and it's your room, and you're free to be whoever you want to be, and that's what the brand really embodies. And we want it to feel, yeah, light and safe and bright (laughs) to put it very simply I love that yeah I've got such a great feeling about this I'm so excited I can't wait for when you're doing your TED talk and I'll be there in the audience being like she taught me about this really early on and it's so exciting oh but it's also (laughs) so scary because I was talking to Lucy about this the other day actually and saying do you ever just have those moments where you feel we're all very logical you know this is at the very very start we haven't marketed this yet. Our product market fit could be off. Our products could actually be off. And obviously we're doing everything we can to ensure it's not. But it's like you're holding this tiny little flame and you've just got to keep it alight and you need it to turn into some epic bonfire. But at this point, it's so fragile. I wanted to come on this podcast at this stage because I'm not scared to put this all out there right now and for it to fall apart in six months. I would not feel disappointed because I have already learned so much over the past couple of months and I would prefer to attempt something huge and fail than to not ever attempt to do this. And so I am so aware of the fact that this could go any direction (laughs) at this point. I obviously have complete faith we're going to get it to where it needs to get, but there are so many things that you can never plan for, but I always think it's better to try. What a great notion for all of our Lady Startup community to hear as well, because there's such a feeling when you've got an idea or you've got a tiny baby product or service that is that little flame. There's so much fear in trying to grow and and create that into something bigger. And that's so much of what we hear about our community too, is that how do you just decide to start? How and when do you get to that point? Does it have to be perfect for you to be able to start? Or That's so amazing to hear something with such grand ideas for where it could go is in its infancy and that's I think that's so exciting for all our lady startups to hear yeah I've got got such good vibes in this room we were talking just before we came on mic about how we're a bit woo woo and I got all the woo woo feelings oh honestly the universe was kicking me in the back to do this 
I've just got one last question for you. As I said, I usually do my type five at the end, but we've covered <laughs> off so many of them already. But one thing I'm really interested to know from you that I ask all of my guests is what's the biggest misconception, whether that be of you, of your industry, of females in tech? What do you think in your life, your business life has been the biggest misconception? I speak to so many women who will come to me for advice and I think a lot of people feel like the person they're seeking the advice from has it all figured out, but I usually tell them I'm Googling (laughs) things most days, you know, and that you really don't need to have all of the answers and that sometimes the people you admire most, and I'm not saying that's me, like even the people I admire most, I know they're still Googling things and they still feel out of their depth. And I think sometimes those doubts can hold you back because you feel like you have to emulate, I guess, where you're trying to be or the people that you admire most. But really, it's so fine to just not have the answers to everything and to seek advice from others and to admit what you don't know. Amazing. I have loved this chat so much. Same. I, I really, I feel very, very, <laughs> yeah, I feel all the, all the good vibes. It's really exciting. Thank really you. Really exciting. And now it's time for Mia. Hey, it's Mia Friedman here. I'm the founder of Lady Startup. And over the last eight weeks, I've brought you a Lady Startup lesson as inspired by the incredible women featured on each episode. I listened to George's interviews with these women and then I've taken something away that will apply more broadly to anyone in any business or who wants to start a business one day. And this is our last one for the season. Now, I particularly loved listening to this episode with Michelle and Georgia because as some of you may know, I am also a co-founder just like Michelle. And Unlike Michelle, though, she hadn't yet met her co-founders in real life yet. I live with mine. It's my husband, Jason Levine. And I just thought it was so interesting. You know, I started Mamma Mia first, but he came on board as a co-founder and then we sort of grew it into a business together. And the first thing that people say when they hear that, that I work with my husband is, oh, my God, I could never work with my partner. And I understand that because the first few years we both took it in turns to quit. But what was interesting, I remember in that first year that we started working together, we went on this uh, lunch kind of meeting with this potential client and advertiser. And at the end of the meeting, they said, so how do you two know each other? How did you start working together? And we were like, we're actually married and we have three children. And they were like, oh. And so we decided we are either very, very professional or we had absolutely no chemistry. But the way Michelle spoke about co-founder dating and compatibility made me remember that story because I think that's one of the reasons that our business and our partnership works so well is that Jason and I as co-founders are very compatible. And by compatible, I don't mean that we are the same. I actually mean that we're different. I think that probably a better word than compatible might be complementary. And our complementary skills make us compatible as founders, if that makes sense. We've got really different skill sets and talents and ideas. He is very strategic and financially savvy and business focused, and I'm more creatively and marketing focused. And so 
we both bring things to the table, but in very different ways. And it's so funny. I'm so fascinated when I meet other co-founders who are couples. So Melanie Perkins from Canva, her partner is her husband, Joe Horgan from Mecca. Her husband is her co-founder or works in the business now. And also Kate Morris from Adore Beauty. She works with her husband too. So it's super common in small businesses and big businesses. And I think that the unifying factor is that everyone knows their lane. And it doesn't mean that those lanes don't cross over sometimes, but it means that you bring different things, different skills to the table. Now, that's not to say that two co-founders who are very alike are not compatible, but I think it's just important to dig deep into the types of people that you both are individually and what the process of becoming co-founders would actually look like if you were to go ahead with a business partnership. Because Often, if you're going to go have a partnership in a business, it will be someone you know quite well. So it will be a romantic partner or a sibling or a close friend. And just by the very nature, particularly with siblings or friends, you might have similar skills and you might be quite similar. And that's why communication and planning is the absolutely most essential ingredient to getting the business partner pie baked to perfection. Okay, enough of my baking and carbohydrate analogies. If you're a fan of Lady Startup, you might also enjoy How I Work. On How I Work, organizational psychologist Dr. Amantha Imba interviews some of the world's most successful people and unpacks the tactics and habits and rituals that make them so productive. Amantha recently had Adore Beauty co-founder Kate Morris on the show, and she spoke about how she managed her energy during 2020 when she floated Adore on the Australian Stock Exchange for a $600 million price tag. And for me, the way I managed my energy was to keep going back to purpose. What was I really trying to achieve here? And what I'd done was put a little sticky note on the bottom of my monitor that I was going to be staring at for 12 hours a day. And the sticky note said, making history, because what we were trying to achieve with this IPO was going to be the largest ever Australian IPO with a woman founder and woman CEO. And to me, that was something worth it. And so I'd take that five minute break that I had between each call and have another espresso shot and and (laughs) eat too many jelly babies. And then remind myself that we were trying to make history here and so that I could then start the next call of being asked all the same questions and delivering the same presentation and trying to do every every single one like it was the first time and like it was fresh. Search How I Work wherever you listen to your podcasts. While I'm here, I wanted to actually just thank you for listening to this season of Lady Startup Stories. I hope it's left you with lots to think about, lots to aspire to, and also some practical tips to assist you with wherever you are on your lady startup journey. It has been my pleasure to pop in at the end of each episode, but now it's back to Georgia. Thanks for listening to Lady Startup Stories. To find out more about the Lady Startup courses, head to www.ladystartup.com forward slash pages forward slash home. I'm Georgia Love. You can find out more about my lady startup at at lovegeorgiaelliot on Instagram. Lady Startup Stories is produced by Michaela Floriano. The executive producer of Lady Startup Stories is Eliza Ratliff. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au.
Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.